Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Um, all right, so how many of you guys like sunrises out there? Uh, it, most of us love a, a good sunrise, right? Um, and so for most of us, there's probably been a time where you've woke up in the morning um, nice and early, bef- like while it's still dark, and you, you get ready to go out, um, and you head to your favorite lake, hilltop, um, somewhere where you can, can watch a beautiful sunrise uh, take place. Now, it's kind of a mysterious part of the morning because while you're heading there, like, a lot of times there's a little bit of light, but things are dark. You're starting to be able to make out objects, but they're not really in clear view, or they're not very, um, you know, you're just not sure exactly what's happening around you because you can't see it real clearly. So that is about where we're at right now in Jesus' ministry. If, if you're going through the book of Matthew, um, the light came into the world at Jesus' birth, right? But it's slowly getting brighter. It's just slowly starting to take shape. Um, and we're starting to see the pictures forming. But the details are a little bit fuzzy just yet. But just as the sunrise starts to come over that mountain and, and starts to come over the horizon, and it starts to edge over, it starts to bring things into a crisp reality, right? Jesus' ministry is about to come to light in vivid display. The sunlight, and when I'm talking about sunlight, I'm talking about S-O-N, or or the light of Jesus is about to rise over the horizon and spread his light into the world, bringing it to life. And he's able to cut through that fog that Joe was talking about last week. So let's get into today's passage from Matthew 4, verses 12. Uh, 12 to 22. And this is, this is what the words say. It says this. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that was what was spoken by the prophet, so that w- what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. 
So the first point of this message and, and the title of my message this morning is The Light Begins to Shine, okay? So when you look at all four Gospels at this point, like I said before, things aren't all that crisp just yet. Um, we really only have some snapshots of the things that Jesus did in his ministry up to this point. We have the, the snapshot of Jesus' birth. We have the snapshot recorded in Luke chapter 2 of Jesus at the age of 12 sitting with the teachers of the law in the temple and answering some of their questions and amazing them for what he did. We have some snapshots of Jesus at a wedding and Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, and last week we talked about the snapshot of Jesus being tempted in the desert. So it's, it's really kind of difficult to figure out exactly how long was between some of these events uh, leading up to the start of his ministry. Luke chapter 3 records that his ministry started when he was about 30 years of age. And most scholars believe that it lasted about three years. So for those of you who love history, Luke 3 also records that John the Baptist began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar's reign, which would help us to place the start of Jesus' ministry in about the year 29 AD. So Jesus is about 30 years old when he starts his ministry. And the light begins to shine in the darkness. Now we start with a really curious statement in verse 12. It says this, Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Okay, that's kind of an interesting start to this, this passage. So what I would like to do is I'd like to try and first answer the question why he withdrew, and then we're going to start to get into where he withdrew to and the significance of some of this region of Galilee. So as we look at this, um, it's interesting because we know that why he left was not because of a fear or a lack of courage that he withdrew from the area. We know that Jesus wasn't afraid. I think that part of the reason he had to leave Judea was because he knew that every event in his life had an appointed time, and his time had not yet come. We see in the, book of, uh, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is recorded as saying, my time has not yet come many different places. So we know that this early in Jesus' ministry, he wouldn't have been ready to be revealed yet as the Messiah. And the attention that John the Baptist was getting and had received in this region would have likely moved to Jesus in this instance. So that might be one reason why he, he withdrew. I believe another reason of why he withdrew to go to a region like this is because, his, because of his love for us specifically sinners. Jesus' ministry was about saving sinners. Mark 2, 16 records the Pharisees asking the question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, heard it he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. 
it makes sense that Jesus would go to a region that was full of people who are lost. This area that he went to had a reputation for being a place like this. Listen to what the Gospel of John tells us about this area. Okay, so in John 1:46 we read, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? In John 7:52 we hear, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Just by the way people talked about Galilee gives you this image that it was a dark and sinful area. Let's take a minute and and consider the United States today. Are there any areas in the United States that may come to your mind uh, when you think of a dark and sinful area? Las Vegas, San Francisco, that sort of thing. Las Vegas is Sin City, right? Um, <laughs> there's many different places in, in the United States that might be considered a dark area. Uh, so I want you to think about something. I want to give you an example. Um, it's interesting because we often think of Las Vegas as a, as a dark and sinful area, okay? Well, Many of you know that we, uh, Satin and I, at one point adopted our daughter, Lael, from Las Vegas. And, and during that time, we were able to fly to Las Vegas, and Satin was able to stay with a family there. We got connected with a family. Uh, we had to stay in the, within the state for a couple of weeks. And Satin was able to stay with this family for, for two weeks. Well, this family just happened to have a show on the strip, but they were also a part of a really large church that was there. And it was interesting because Satan had several conversations with them throughout this time. And during that time, they were saying things like this. Las Vegas is a place that is ripe for the gospel. Many people have hit rock bottom and recognize their need for a savior. They are looking for a better life and a way out of the condition that they are in. Maybe this is what Jesus had in mind when he went to Galilee. Why he went was to save a lost and a broken people. It's also interesting to look at where he withdrew, because Galilee is a predominantly Gentile area. Verses 13 through 15 say this, And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So where this region uh, was is significant because it was an area where many travelers would probably go through, okay? It was, um, it was in proximity of both the Mediterranean Sea and, and the Sea of Galilee. It's, it's a narrow place, and there were uh, many uh, trade routes that would have ran north to south along there and along the Jordan River as well. So this area had a diverse population of people. 
from a lot of different backgrounds. In fact, the prophecy that, this, that verse 14 talks about is from Isaiah 9, and it says this. It calls this area the Galilee of the nations. It says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made a glorious way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. The prophecy continues to announce that the gospel is being extended to all nations. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is offered to everyone. Remember that Jason thought a few weeks ago that Jesus was the Jewish king and the Jewish Messiah, right? The book of Matthew could also be considered probably one of the most Jewish books of the Gospels. But it starts with Gentile wise men coming, or Magi coming to celebrate his birth, and ends with a call in Matthew 28 to take the Gospel to all nations, and not just for Jews. The Jewish king is a savior for everyone. The message that Jesus is about to live and proclaim is a message that will be carried to the ends of the earth. In fact, Isaiah 49 goes on to say, I will make you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends, the end of the earth. Jesus also confirmed this throughout his ministry because we know that he spoke to a Greek man, a Roman soldier, to a Syrophoenician woman, to Samaritans. And we can easily conclude that there were many people in the crowds that he talked to when he, when he spoke, that there were people from many different nationalities there. Jesus did not differentiate between nationalities, cultural, social, physical, or any boundaries for that matter. Scriptures point us to a future in heaven as well that we will gather with people of all types. Matthew 8, 11 says, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then we hear in Revelation 7, 9, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Jesus' offer of salvation is for everyone. Now, I want you to hear me this morning that when we talk about where, this passage is not just talking about the, the physical, geographic place that we are in. These words speak to people of every background, in every spiritual condition. In fact, Jesus even healed people who were, were out of their right mind and even demon-possessed. He wants you to know him no matter where you are spiritually right now. 
I've actually heard people say to me that, that God would not want me because I've done too many bad things. In fact, one college student, we were at the Midnight Mission. Uh, many of you know that, that Grace United Methodist Church uh, during homecoming holds what's called the Midnight Mission uh, in their front lawn. And as, as people come back from the bars, they, they feed them and, and give them drinks and things like that and have a conversation with them. One of those nights, uh, I was talking with a college student and, and they were standing there and she would not even step off the sidewalk to step into the lawn because she said, I've done too many bad things. She wouldn't even have a hot dog. We were inviting her to have a hot dog and a drink. And she said, no, there's no way. This can be a common feeling. Luke 7, 6 records the centurion telling Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And John 1, 27 records John the Baptist even saying, even he who comes after me, the straps whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Peter, we know, also struggled with this. Luke 5, 8 tells us, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. It doesn't matter where you are spiritually right now in this very moment. And salvation is not based on your worthiness. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you because he loves you and wants you to be with him forever. All that he wants is for you to put your faith and trust in him. John 8, 12 tells us, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This light shines into the darkness and it illuminates the darkness. And as it does, sometimes it begins to reveal things. Which brings us to the second point of this message. The light begins to reveal. Verse 16 says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Can you sense the tone of this verse uh, when it talks about dwelling in darkness? It's not just a shadow over somebody's life, but it's the life that they're living. They're living in it. Their daily activities are a part of that darkness. And it's actually even darker than that. The people of this region are in the shadow of death. In other words, this life that they're living will someday cause them to die. Now, I don't think that these sins were any different back then than they are today. Galatians 5, 19 through 20 gives us a list of different different sins, sexual immorality, impurity, enmity, strife, um, jealousy, and anger. They're no different today than they were back then. Psalm 107, 10 through 11 gives us an image of a prisoner in jail. 
Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the word of God, words of God, and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Those who turn away from, from Jesus and the words of the Bible are in great darkness and in the shadow of death. Now keep in mind this is not a physical death. This is a spiritual death. It's not just a temporary death, but an eternal death. This is why the light had to come into the darkness to reveal our need for a Savior and the danger that we are in without Jesus. The perfect life that Jesus lived helps us to understand why we fall way short of God's perfect standard and then we cannot make it to heaven by our own efforts. I like this, this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, Let a man get the light of God streaming into his soul, convincing him of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come, and all reliance on, upon self in any form will be seen to him to be the most hateful of crimes. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus. Remember that John the Baptist and Jesus' message was the same. They called people to repent and turn to God for the forgiveness of your sins. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I want you to hear a couple of different tones in this verse, okay? On one side, there's this tone of kind of forceful proclamation, right? And then on the other side of, of this uh, verse is, is a tone of gentle persuasion. It can be perceived as a harsh warning, but it also can be as heard as a warm welcome to those who receive it. I think that sometimes we wonder why people don't necessarily respond to the gospel right away or come to Jesus when we talk to them about the gospel and ask them to consider that they are sinners in need of repentance. I want to give you an example. Uh, the youth went on a retreat uh, in January, and I want to give you an example. Um, first of all, uh, so if any of you are sleeping out there, this example is for you. Um, you know, <laughs> all right, what, what happens when when that light, sorry, I, <laughs> but what happens when this light is shown at you when it's this bright? A lot of you guys probably reacted, oh, ah, wow. It's, I gotta get this off. There we go. <laughs> um, it's sometimes hard. It's overwhelming at times. Uh, it's, it's painful to look at some of the things that are being revealed. We want to look away, right? Walking up to somebody, um, or sometimes this can be the same thing like when you're walking up in the sunlight. Uh, you know, you see, you see the sunlight coming. Um, you wake up and it's just so bright, right? But eventually, our eyes begin to adjust. They begin to adjust 
see if I can get one of these lit. This one's a tricky one. There it goes. Your eyes begin to adjust, and your eyes begin to see, well, this, this light is actually warm. It's actually kind of pleasant to, to see. This one's cinnamon spiced vanilla. <laughs> it, it even gives off a, a, sometimes maybe a fragrance and things. But the light of God, is, the light of Jesus is sometimes like that. Sometimes it feels real harsh when we first see it and first things until our eyes adjust to what it's talking about. And it becomes a pleasant light that we have. Just like the sunrise that we talked about earlier brings details in the crisp view, the moment that we open our eyes to the light of Jesus and his word that reveals all of the wrongs we've committed, we begin to realize that we're sinful. This can be painful at first, but as our eyes adjust, we begin to see sin for what it is. And God helps us through the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome this sin and darkness. This then becomes a part of our testimony, a part of our story. Just like we talked about last week in, in overcoming the fog of sin. Those around us begin to see the difference in our lives. And the light begins to spread and reveal darkness in the lives of others. This was a part of Jesus' plan. This was also a part of Paul's mission to the Gentiles. Acts 26, 18 tells us to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Once we begin to experience the warmth of God's light, a desire often grows within us, right? To share that light with others. This was always a part of God's plan. He wants us to share and give testimony to, and spread his light to those around us. So the last point of my message this morning, of this message, is the light begins to spread. Let's look at verses 18 to 22, where Jesus, Jesus calls the first disciples. He says this, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee and their father, mending their nets, and he called, called them. Immediately they left, their, uh, left the boat and their father and followed him. God's plan from the beginning was for the gospel to spread through his people. 
Now, it's kind of intimidating to, to think that such a great responsibility is handed over to us. Remember that unworthiness that we talked about earlier? I know that most, uh, many Christians um, also sometimes feel unworthy or unprepared to share the gospel with others. But let me share with you some background on these scriptures, okay? Before we get to why this passage is relevant for all of us, I want to give you some background of the Jewish educational system uh, during the time of Jesus. There were actually three steps to this system in a child's education uh, during the time of Jesus. They were called, and I may, I may not pronounce these correctly, but they were called Beit Sefer, Beit Talmud, and Beit Midrash. Okay? So there are three different stages. In Jewish culture, a young child would start school at around the age of five or six and would begin to learn the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So they would begin to learn this, okay? Uh, that would last until about the age of 10. Now, if the child was able to learn and memorize the first five books of the Bible, he would then move on to the second stage of learning and, and begin to learn and memorize the rest of the Old Testament. Probably a little bit more than that. All right? If they were not able to pass that stage, or if they were not able to pass either of these stages, once they, once, if they, if they did, couldn't do the first stage, what did they do? They went and learned their family trade. If they didn't get by the second stage, they would go and learn their family stage. If they were able to do that, there were times where, like, these would be gifted students, right? They would be, they would be the A, uh, the, the people that were valedictorians that got straight A's and, and that sort of thing. If they did that, a respected rabbi would come to them, and they would come up to, to this person and see the potential in this person and say, they would see this potential, they would say this, come, follow me. And you would enter the stages of becoming a rabbi, which would usually last until the age of 30. The method of this education was considered discipleship. And the goal was to become like the rabbi. And if you weren't selected, you would go to your family's trade. Let's go back to our passage. What were the disciples doing when they, when they were called? They were fishermen. They were working in their family's trade. So this means that they did not make the dean's list. But Jesus chose them anyway. Make sure to note that this was the B team or maybe the CDNF for some of us, right? Um, team that changed the world. He knew 
that they have the ability to become fishers of men and be his disciples. Jesus also knows that you have the ability to become fishers of men and be his disciples and spread his light to others. If you are wondering where to start, I would encourage you to just start spending time with him. I know I encourage you this a lot, or this a lot to you guys, but just spend time with Jesus. Look at what happened to Mount, or Moses on Mount Sinai, right? After spending time with God, Exodus 34, 29 tells us this. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. You see, Moses spent time with God, and his appearance was changed. And I'm guessing that it was more than just changed on the outside, but was changed also on the inside. God can transform you too. I'm going to call up the worship team, and, and I, I do have a, one more illustration for you as they, as they come forward. Um, you're probably wondering why this, this table of candles have been, has been sitting here all morning. Uh, I want you to understand that this table of candles is, is a representation of us. There's, there's lots of different candles on here. There's different colors. There's different sizes. Some of them are probably brighter than others. Some are, give off fragrance, some don't. Some are tiny, some are large. Some are meant to last a really long time. And some are only meant to, to burn for a short little while. But there's a variety of candles up here. And the Lord comes to us, each of these candles on this table has a purpose. Their purpose is to shine light into the darkness. But they can only shine that light into the darkness if they get the light from the source. If I can get this one. There we go. They begin to, to shine light into the darkness when they receive the light of Christ. And a lot of times the candles around them begin to think, wow, that's beautiful. I want to be a part of that light too. And so they begin, the light begins to spread. They were all created to bring light into the darkness. If you are here today and you have never received Jesus, the light, as your Savior, I would encourage you to go to him today. For those of you who know him, I would encourage you to spread the light. Let me finish by encouraging you with the words of Matthew and then we'll pray. This comes, we'll be speaking about this in a couple of weeks, but Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this. You are the light of the world. 
A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for coming into our lives. We thank you for shining the light into the darkness. We thank you, Lord, that it begins to reveal and begins to spread to others around us. Lord, I just pray that you would use each and every one of us as we begin to share this light with others around us. Lord, it doesn't matter whether we're like these candles up here that are, that are of different colors, whether some of them are, are ornate or some of them are simple, whether some of them last a long time or whether sometimes they just only last a short little while. Father, I pray that you would let our light shine into the darkness. Let us put it on a hill and let it bring glory to you. So we thank you, Lord, for coming into our lives and ask that you would use us according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.